Look at verse number one of chapter number two of the book of Proverbs. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up the voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is the buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, and some good paths, and a few good paths. Every good path. Let's pray. to Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this evening. What a blessing it's been to be in your house tonight, Lord. We ask you, Lord, this evening, God, that you'd help us, Lord, again from the word of God. Lord, we're a people who are hungry for wisdom. God, not just because it sounds good, not because it's a, a cool thing to have, but, Lord, we need it. Lord, in the world that we live in, in the days that we live in, Lord, we need wisdom. Lord, you said wisdom's the principal thing. With all, that, with all that understanding, with all that getting, get wisdom and knowledge. And I ask you, Lord, tonight that you'd help us with that this evening. Lord, help us tonight, Lord, just to glean from your word of God eternal truths. God, that won't just help us tonight, but God, that'll help us for the rest of our Christian life. We pray, Lord, tonight that you just work in our hearts in the midst of your people tonight, Lord, and Lord, we leave out of here simply different than we, than we walked in tonight. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory, we'll give you all the praise. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, chapter number two starts off with that, my son. We looked at that at the beginning of chapter number one or in, in chapter number one. And so this is parental advice part two. Uh, and, and again, you look at chapter number three, Solomon says again, my son, my son. He says it many times throughout these, I think, first eight to nine chapters. And he's, he's trying his best and he he's, has a desire to pass down that wisdom that God has given him down to his son and down to his children and really down to us tonight. I'm glad tonight that Solomon didn't just get wisdom for personal gain. He didn't just take God's wisdom and say, you know what, this is good for me, but I'm not gonna give it to nobody else, but rather he allowed God to use him and allowed God to, to take him and, and write the book of Proverbs so you and I can say, you know what, I need wisdom. And I don't have to go look in, in 19 different sources. I can just open up the book of Proverbs and find the wisdom that I'm looking for. But we'll see here tonight as, as he's talking to his son and, and, and he in these first nine verses tonight, it, it, it brings out a reality in our life that as our children grow older, so does our, our parenting style changes as they grow older. In essence, you don't, you don't parent a, a three-year-old the same way that you would parent a 16-year-old. Uh, it just doesn't, things don't exactly go the, the same way, especially when it comes to discipline. Right, a three to four year old, you, you see them doing something wrong and you tell them no, you tell them why it's wrong and they're still gonna go do it. Right, they're gonna, they're gonna touch whatever you told them not to touch, they're gonna grab whatever you told them not to grab and they're gonna, they're gonna oh, disobey you and so it's time for discipline. You pull them to the side and you give them a spanking, you discipline them, they cry, they're broken, they don't touch that no more. But as a child gets older, and I don't know if it's the case in your life, but it wasn't mine, there came a day in my life where I no longer feared a spanking because I knew in a few moments that the sting would go away, the, the, the problem and all that, the hurt would go away, and I could go do whatever I wanted to do. And so as I got older, yes, the spankings decreased, but the discipline didn't change. My parents took away things that were valuable to me. 
They, they took away things that I, I, I really enjoyed doing and they would remove those out of my life until I'd shown them that either I had I, I'd righted my wrong or I had learned my lesson. I remember one time when I got into the teenage years, I mean, I, I loved video games, played them all the time. And I made a B in one of my classes, not a C, not a D, not an F, a B. And it was like an 88 on top of that. What did my mom do? She took away my video games. And then I was going to a church lock-in where we were going to play video games all night long. And she said, you're not allowed to go and play video games. You're allowed to go, but you're not allowed to play video games. You know how fun it is for eight hours to watch other people play video games? Not as fun as playing them yourself. <laughs> and I said, I, I got all of this for making a B. I go to school with kids who are making C's and D's and their parents are buying them brand new iPhones, brand new shoes, cars. I made an 88 and my mom took away my video games. But it got my attention. Right? It, it, it changed my mindset. And here's the thing, as a child, grows older, right? In those beginning years, those formative years, so to speak, that is where that discipline takes place. But as they grow older, as a parent, one of the things we're going to have to come to the realization is that I can tell them what to do and I can tell them why to do it. I can tell them how it's a good thing to be done. But ultimately, that choice is going to be theirs. And here Solomon shows us this truth and this, this illustrate not just in the, the, the rearing of a child, but even in the Christian life. We find it in the word if. Right, look at verse number one. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, then you go down to verse number five, then. Then you go down to verse number nine, then. He said, if you do what I am telling you to do and you follow my instruction and you apply what I'm teaching you, there are some thens, but only if you complete the ifs. And the same thing is true in our life. We know that if we follow God's word and we obey God's commands and we, we, we live a spirit-led life, then there are some thens, right? There's some blessings and whatnot. And if you break it down, if you look at verse one, he said, if you'll receive my words, look at verse number nine, then shall they understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good. How many of y'all want verse number nine in your life? I want verse number nine. I want to know what equity. I want equity. I want, I want judgment. I want righteousness. I want to know every good path that God has for me. I want to know what God desires out of my life and I want to be able to do it to the glory of God, to the best of my ability in a way that pleases God. Well, there's got to be an if done. There's got to be a verse number one completed in your life. And so I entitle this prayer, parental advice part two, if you want it. It's there, it's possible, it is, you are capable, you've been enabled by the Holy Spirit to have and live with wisdom and by wisdom if, if you're willing to do the ifs in your life. I want to give you three truths tonight that will encourage you to do the, if of, the ifs of wisdom so you can enjoy the thens of wisdom. We'll get three things tonight concerning wisdom. He said, if thou receive my, my, my words. So I notice number one, we see the seeking of wisdom. Verses one through four, he said, son, listen, there is a then, but there's got to be a seeking first. There's got to be a desire within you for wisdom and to seek wisdom and godly wisdom one of the greatest misconceptions of the modern day Christian life is that wisdom is only for an elite group of Christians. 
It's only for the, 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 the well-educated theologian, brainiac Christians. Now, tonight, there's a big difference between somebody who's well-learned and somebody is, who is wise. There's a big difference between a learned Christian and a wise Christian. A learned Christian knows a lot of information. They can quote the verses. They know the, the years and the, the genealogies of the Bible. They've got all this great factual information, but they have no idea what to do with it. They're learned. Whereas a wise Christian, they may not be able to rattle off the genealogies and they may not even be able to name all 66, of the book, 66 books of the Bible in order, but yet they have taken God's word and they've studied it and they've meditated on it and they said, here's what it says, but here's what we're supposed to do with what it says. And so we have to tell ourselves tonight that it is not up for those who we deem learned and scholarly Christians H.A. Ironside is a, uh, a great preacher, a, a great theologian, a, a, a tremendous comment. I love reading after him. But he was a man who loved reading the word of God. I remember hearing a story about him and said that he had met with another pastor or preacher for lunch or breakfast uh, in the morning and they sat down at a table and they began to talk and the, the, the preacher that he was visiting with said, oh, Brother Ironside, I was reading my Bible today and I was going over a couple verses and my, the Lord helped me this morning and showed me some great truths in these verses. And he said, Brother Ironsides, what did you read this morning in your Bible? Tell me what you read. And Brother, Irons, uh, Iron, uh, Brother Ironside said this. He said, well, this morning I read the entire book of Isaiah. All 66 books. And he said, Brother, to be honest with you, we'd be here till dinner if I shared everything that God showed me this morning. Man loved the word of God. He, he was an educated man. He was a, a, a scholarly man and all those things. But here's what he said. The Christian need not to be scholarly and profound to understand the scriptures. It is a certain condition of soul rather than a well-equipped mind that is required. In essence, you don't have to have a college education to understand the word of God. And matter of fact, if you're getting a college education from most universities today, uh, you're not gonna understand anything. I've got a Bible college certificate, a graduation uh, whatever, diploma, that's what it's called. It's in my office tonight. But can I say, I, I don't take that thing to God and say, all right, God, look what I got. You owe me everything, right? No, it is me getting in the word of God. Right, some of the greatest preachers that ever lived never went to Bible college. Some of the greatest Christians that ever lived who lived a life full of wisdom never went to Bible college. And so tonight, you've got to tell yourself that it is not, uh, you've got to quit telling yourself the lie that you could never do this. Right, preacher, there's no way I'm ever going to read my Bible and get wisdom out of it. That's a lie. Now, if you're depending on yourself, in merely your education, in merely your ability, then yes, you won't get nothing out of it. But let me ask you, how much of yourself did you depend on at salvation? How much of yourself are you depending on to get to heaven tonight? We know that's all the work of God tonight. That is God working in us and through us and for us. Then why not take that same attitude to the word of God and say, all right, Lord, I don't have the means of myself to understand this, Lord. You know who I am. You knew who I was when, I, when you saved me. God, you know what I struggle with. God, you know where my, 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 my shortcomings are. Lord, I need help. Right, it takes a sincere seeking of the word of God. 
Here's the thing. If you're, God's willing to give it to you if you truly want it. If you truly want it. Notice verses two and three. Well, what does this seeking look like, preacher? Well, verses two and three tells us it's a manifold pursuit of wisdom. Preacher, I asked for it. What else? What now? That's great and that's wonderful. But if you read verses two and three, there's more than just a simple application or I'm asking for wisdom or an appeal for wisdom tonight. Notice it's a manifold pursuit. In essence, it is all of myself in different forms and different ways seeking wisdom from God. Look at verse number two this morning. Look what he, or this evening, look what he says, so, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom. What does that mean, preacher? Well, that word incline or that phrase incline the ear literally means in essence that you, 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 you are leaning down to hear what is going on. How many of you have ever tried to watch a television program or tried to listen to something important and have children in the same room with you? It is just about near impossible to get that through and you're trying your best to listen. You are closing your eyes you know, as you grow up older. And it's funny now, when I'm driving now, even I'm this way now, where I'm not sure where I am, I turn the radio down. That's going to help me find what I'm looking for. But right, we, we, we try to focus in on it, but there's so much going on. But in essence, when it means to incline your ear, it means I'm listening on purpose. I remember hearing teachers say that when I was growing up. I said, what in the world does that mean? Uh, do you not listen on purpose? And finally, oh, that means I'm pushing everything else out on purpose so I can listen to what is being uh, said to me and taught to me. But it means to incline there to listen for it. Right, when you come to church, are you listening for wisdom? Not just for the preacher to say something cool or great or awesome, but rather you're saying, all right, Lord, this is your method. This is your plan. God, you chose the foolishness of preaching. God, you chose a man behind the pulpit with your Bible expounding on it and preaching on it. And Lord, I'm here to listen on purpose. Now listen, babies crying in the service don't bother me. Right, that's what babies do. I mean, right now there's one. It doesn't bother me tonight. I don't expect anything. I don't, I don't expect them to sit there and say, well said, preacher. You're, you're running well, preacher, keep it up. Now, every now and again, little Shiloh will say amen. Right? That, that doesn't bother me. They're, they're babies. I, I guess what, what bothers me more is when those of us who know better, who ought to know better, come into church and we sit down and during the service we talk and we, 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 we do everything else underneath the sun instead of listening for what God has for us. Well, so preacher, and here's the thing. It's one thing to, for you to sit there and, and to negate what God has for you, but please don't drag nobody else with you. Right, you standing around talking during the service, you're saying, well, I'm not bothering anybody. You don't realize six other people are watching you now. Right, and I'm not saying you gotta come in, sit and be a, be, a, be, a, be, a, be a totem pole and wait for the service to end, but when it comes time for, if whether it's me or somebody else up here expounding on the word of God, listen, they've studied, they've prayed, they've sought God, and they didn't seek God for themselves, they sought God for you, and they're trying to help you, and God's trying to help you, so pay attention. Incline your ear. Listen on purpose. Then he goes on to say, applying that heart. Look what he says right verse number two. So thou incline the ear into wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Now let me ask you, when you was in school and that teacher was up there teaching whatever subject it was, boy, how many of us, I hope this gets deep down in my heart. 
Boy, algebra gets down into the essence of who I am. I find no greater joy than to be able to find X. I find no greater joy than to be able to properly diagram a sentence in my English class. No. If you was like me, I was trying to get the bare minimum to get by until my video games got taken away from me. <laughs> but notice here tonight when he says when it comes to wisdom, it is a, I'm, list, I'm inclining, I'm listening on purpose. But that word apply, that phrase apply thine heart means totally giving of one's self. Next month on the 14th, it's Valentine's Day. I sincerely believe it's nothing more than a commercial holiday. But at the same time, right, you, you've heard the phrase, I'm in, I'm in love with somebody and I, 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 I want to give them my whole heart. I love you with all my heart. We're not talking about a beating organ, we're talking about ourselves. Right, I'm giving myself to you completely. In essence, I want wisdom so bad. I desire it so much. I'm willing to apply myself completely and totally to the pursuit of it. Nothing else, nothing matters outside of me getting the wisdom I need to please the Lord and to live the Christian life. Then you look at verse number three. So we've got, we've got listening for it, applying our heart towards it. Then he goes on to say right there in verse number three, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding. We see a crying voice and a, or excuse me, a, yeah, a crying, uh, crying after knowledge and a lifted voice or a crying voice and a lifted voice. It is a, a desire that goes beyond one who will not be silent. Now, we see this in little children. We see this, we see this in Shiloh. When Shiloh's hungry, Right, she doesn't walk up to us and say, mother, father, I'm severely parched and my tummy is rumbling. Would you please, at the, no, the nearest convenience, put food on the plate so I can eat it? No, she walks up to us and she says, eat, 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 eat. And she'll do that until she eats, Miss Courtney. She eats, eat. Eat more, eat, eat. And she'll do it over and over and over and over and over. She's thirsty. She'll say, water, 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 water. In essence, she, because she, in her mind, at her young stage, she's appealing to the people that she knows can help her. Right? She doesn't go to her little stuffed animals and her little baby dolls and say, water. She knows they can't help them because she's got to carry them around everywhere. But she knows mama and daddy and Bubba and sissy, oh, they can get her food. And they can get her water. So she appeals. But in essence, she's not stopping until she gets what she needs. She's going to keep crying. Her voice is going to be lifted. Here's what I found out. The longer she has to wait, the louder her voice gets. And in our Christian life, right, we, 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 we go, all right, Lord, I asked for it. I asked for it, Lord. I, I asked for it one time, and now I need it now. But in reality, the Christian life is me and you saying, Lord, I, I still need it. Lord, I still need it. Lord, I, I, Lord I, I know you gave me some yesterday. And I, Lord, I know you helped me yesterday, but Lord, I need it now. I need some more, Lord. 
There's a manifold pursuit. It's not just me saying, all right, Lord, wisdom. It is listening for it. It is applying myself, my heart, my whole self for it. It is crying and lifting up my voice. That preacher said last night, when God's people get to crying, business will pick up. And he was talking about the, the crying, the being comforted when we cry, when we weep. But the same is true this evening. When you and I begin to say, all right, Lord, I, I'm not just merely asking for it. Lord, I'm such a, in such a state. Lord, I've realized that without it, there's nothing that I'm capable of doing right. So, Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, I'll listen for it. Lord, I'll give my whole self for it. Lord, I need wisdom. The manifold pursuit of wisdom. But then notice the magnificent price of wisdom. Preacher, how do you spell that? However it's spelled, amen? <laughs> I've been writing down my notes now, so I don't have spell check anymore. And so I have no idea if it's spelled right on my paper or not. But, but the magnificent price of wisdom. Look at verse number four. If thou seekest her, here's another if, if thou seekest her silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures. The thrill of the what if drives many men and many people to go search for treasure. What if I find it? What if I'm the one that discovers it? What if I am the one that lays eyes to it, puts my hand to it, grabs it out from where it's been hidden for all these years, and now I possess it? In essence, we, we understand when it comes to seeking treasure, actually the odds are against you, right? The odds are against those who go treasure hunting in this world to find, you know, that great thing that's been lost for all these years. But what if I do, preacher? That's the very thrill that drives you to look for it. Now, the difference between treasure hunting and wisdom is God said, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. You come looking for it, I'll give it to you. Right, you don't have to pull out a metal detector. You don't have to pull out an old treasure map. He said, listen, I've got a book full of wisdom that if you come seeking it, you come looking for it, and you seek it as if you're looking for silver, as if you're looking for hid treasure, as you're looking for something that is more valuable than you can even comprehend, he said, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you, the magnificent price of wisdom. Matthew, Jesus said it this way, seek, and you shall find. Boy, he made it real simple, didn't he? Seek, and ye shall find. Preacher, I asked for it one time. Let me ask you, when you play hide and go seek, do you stand there and say, all right, everybody tell me where you are. That's not how you play that game. At least not how when I was, I was growing up, right? That was back when we, you had winners and losers and not everybody got a trophy, all that wonderful stuff. <laughs> but you know, you go looking for them. Right, and there's that one person who's not good at it, right? They hide and your feet are hanging out. <laughs> Found you, Jim. He didn't hide very good. But there's that one. You know, he's part ninja. And you search all over for him. You can't find him nowhere. And there's something like, I don't care if I get anybody, I'm gonna find him. And you pursue after him. The same thing is when it comes to wisdom tonight. Yes, this is a spiritual book, amen? And so you have to have the spirit of God living inside of you to understand this book. But in essence, God isn't saying, all right, come find me and, and I'm hiding from you and I'm not revealing myself. He said, but rather, you've got to have the right mind. Wisdom ain't cheap. Wisdom isn't, isn't just a dime a dozen. Wisdom comes from God and it is, it's the greatest thing and it, it's the greatest knowledge that man has ever known. And he said, listen, you've got to value that way if you're really gonna come after it. We see tonight the seeking of wisdom. Let me ask you, how would you describe your, your current pursuit of wisdom and God's wisdom tonight? 
We see number one, the seeking of wisdom. Number two, the source of wisdom. I gotta get through this quickly before the cake melts. <laughs> Ice cream probably melts but faster than cake unless y'all lit the candles and that wouldn't be good. Look at verse number five. The strength, excuse me, the source of wisdom. Then shall thou understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. See, we've already looked at that verse number nine then, that, and we'll, we'll talk about it in the next point, but there's, there's, there's that, that first then right there in verse number five, and it says if you're truly seeking wisdom, then you'll come to one singular conclusion. I need God's wisdom. Nothing else will do. I don't need the wisdom of this world. We talked about this. This world has a wisdom that they'll sell to you and they'll, they'll give to you, but it doesn't take you where you want to go. It doesn't lead where you desire but they'll give it to you. And I need God's wisdom. Why? Nothing else will do. Verse number five, you must under, truly understand it. If we're gonna, the, the source of wisdom, you really have to understand the, the meaning of the fear of God. We hear the phrase all the time. Maybe somebody said it to you. Maybe you've said it to somebody in your life and you said this, well, you keep that up, I'll put the fear of God in you. Right? That doesn't have a good connotation, does it? I mean, somebody's fixing to drag you back somewhere and let you have it. And when we talk about the fear of God, in our, that's not what we're talking about tonight. I'm not talking about taking you behind the woodshed and laying into you, but rather it is that, it is that biblical sense. We, we see him and we see it for what it really is, that, that complete and total dependence on the Lord, abandoning all other sorts. I don't need the world. I don't need my flesh. I don't need scholastic. I don't need all of that. I need God. I need God more than anything else. The greatest respect you can give to somebody who said, listen, and nobody else matters outside of you. You're, you're the first and the foremost in my life. And it's that, that you are, the, in essence, the highest in my life. There's no one before you. There's no one after you. There's no idol that I'm going after. Lord, I need you. Fear of the Lord is a complete dependence upon the Lord. Why? Knowing this, that he's the only real source of wisdom. The only real source of real wisdom tonight. And so we see that verse number five, we have to understand the fear of the Lord. But verse number six, you must know where to look for wisdom. Right? I remember talking to somebody. They were trying to make a decision in their life about where to go or where to stay. And they said, well, we were out of town. We, we seen a bus that had the, the name of the town we thought God wanted us to go to. And so we said, oh, there's a sign. That's where the Lord wants us to go. And they said, but wouldn't you know, right after that bus, a truck pulled up. And they had the name of the town that we were already in. And they said, well, maybe, maybe the Lord wants us to stay. I said, that's not how you make decisions. Right? That's not how you do those things. Right? But, but in essence, you've got you to know where to look. You don't have to look to the skies and the clouds and the, the signs and the wonders. Just look in the word of God. Right? He gave us his word for a reason. Why? So we could have Wisdom. Notice what it says, for the Lord giveth wisdom. It's a clarifying statement. Say, listen, I, or God, gives wisdom. Right? It is a clarifying statement there in verse number uh, six. Now, for the Lord giveth wisdom. Right? So in essence, it's not saying, well, he might, or he, he could. It says he does. But notice, not even just the, the text, he giveth, right? So that gives us the understanding, because if it said he gave wisdom, well, that'd only be in the past. Or if it just that he will give wisdom, well, that means we'd have to wait until the future. But that word giveth means, well, he did it in the past. And yes, he'll do it in the future, but praise the Lord, he'll do it right now too. 
He's constantly working and constantly giving wisdom to us. Well, where do you find it? Well, it says out of his mouth. Look at verse number six. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So preacher, I've got to wait for God to roll back the heavens and speak to me. No, he already has. It's called your Bible. Right? That's the source of wisdom that we have. And it's the only source of wisdom that we have is God's Word, this book is alive and it amazes me. And we've said this, I don't know how many times, I'm not the only one who says it, but I can't tell you how many I've read chapters and books in here and verses many times in my life and I come back to them and I say, well, I didn't see that the first time I read that. We've been doing Daniel and those daily devotions and, and, and I've been studying through it and just reading through it and, uh, on a daily basis and it's been amazing to me how God has illuminated things and shined light on things that I didn't see the first time. Well, I knew that Daniel was thrown into the, the, the den of lions because he was praying and he wouldn't stop. But I always thought he was praying about uh, the, the, the nation and the people and, and, and his, his kinsmen. He might have been doing those things. But then he turned down later in Daniel, you find Daniel praying again. And what is he praying about? He's praying about his sin, his failures, his shortcomings. And I thought, well, if you take that back and you, you compare it with that previous account where Daniel was put in the jail, this man was put in the jail because he was praying more than likely for his own sin. You say, well, preacher, why would they get so upset? Well, one, they didn't like Daniel because he had great understanding. Why? He knew the Lord. Right? And God gave him insight and, 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 and wisdom on things that nobody else had. But maybe when Daniel prayed, as he prayed a four, a, a, you know, thrice in the day at a four time, He'd open up his windows and pray. They had to walk by Daniel while he was praying about his sin. And just maybe it put them underneath conviction because they had sin. And here's Daniel getting it right. They didn't like him praying like that because it reminded them that they were sinners too. So we've got to get away from them. Right, and it's amazing to me. As the more you read, the more it lines. I remember watching and listening to preachers saying, how in the world they line those things up like that? How do they start there and get to there and it all makes sense and it's, it's six different books in the Bible and it's amazing. Why? It's, it's a book of wisdom. Right? It's a book of wisdom. Right? So the Bible isn't just full of wisdom. It's our only source of wisdom. Reading it, preaching it, studying it, meditating on it, it's our only source of wisdom. Right? That's why at South Haven Baptist Church, if there's one thing we're not going to get away from, it's gonna get, we're not going to get away from this. I'll get away from the preaching of God's word because that's what God has chosen for the day and age that we live in, for men to preach God's word. So we see the source of wisdom, the seeking of wisdom. Let me ask you, are you looking for wisdom in all the wrong places or only in the right place? Well, preacher, I'm part of a group on Facebook. And when I put stuff on, they just make me feel so much better. They tell me what I want to hear. Well, that's great and dandy, but it may not be wise. It may not be wisdom. The seeking of wisdom, the source of wisdom. Notice thirdly tonight, we'll get some cake. See what y'all did tonight, amen. Y'all thought preacher fixing to be long tonight. We're gonna, we're gonna trick him with some cake because we know he likes cake. Look at verse number seven tonight, the strength of wisdom. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He's a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good Path. Just like tonight we talked about a manifold pursuit, listening, applying, and crying out, God's wisdom has a manifold purpose in our life as well. 
It's not just one stream tonight. It's, this is all that it can do. It's in this one area, this one thing. Don't expect anything else. He says in verse number seven and nine, there's a lot that wisdom, God's wisdom can do for us tonight. Well, what can it do, preacher? Well, God's wisdom protects us. Verse number seven says he layeth up wisdom for the righteous. What does that mean, preacher? That means that he's never gonna run out of wisdom. You're gonna, you're gonna get wisdom tonight and God's gonna help you. You're gonna wake up tomorrow and say, Lord, I need wisdom. He's not gonna have to say, oh, give me a rain check. Running a little scarce. The supply chain's messed up. I'm running low. No, he said, I've been laying it up. I've got more than you could ever dream about. I've got more than you'd ever need when it comes to wisdom. He's got more than, in essence, he's not struggling to keep his wisdom in stock for you. He's got plenty of wisdom for you. But notice right there in verse number seven as well, it says he's a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Now, I understand what a buckler is. It's a small shield. It was carried by men of war and battle and all that wonderful stuff. It was a, a protection it was, it was derived from the word of, uh, that means a hedge of uh, protection. But then Strong's Concordance threw me for a loop. It said, figuratively speaking, it speaks of crocodile skin. I said, what in the world does that even mean? And I Googled it, and some of you fellas might want to study that. Some of you ladies might, well, what in the world is that? Well, what's so significant? What's so comparing a buckler shield to, to crocodile skin? The only thing I could come up with is that it's one of the most strongest natural uh, skins and hides there is. You ask them crocodile hunters, them alligator hunters down in Louisiana, they'll tell you there ain't but one spot where you can shoot an alligator. It's right there behind its skull. Everywhere else, the bullet will just bounce off of them. Well, I'm glad tonight wisdom protects us like that. But when it comes to godly, there ain't no holes to it. There ain't no little spots where something can get in. It's a complete protection tonight. And so wisdom protects, but also this, verse number eight, wisdom points. Once again, wisdom points us to him, right? Because notice what it said right there in verse number seven. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. It didn't say wisdom is a buckler. What's it say? He is a buckler, right? Wisdom will say that's great, that's wonderful. But once again, I'm depending on God and not just merely wisdom tonight. And so we'll see tonight that God's wisdom points in verse eight. Well, where does it point? Back to him. Right back to, back to where, where we need to be looking at, to, to what leads to him. Look at verse number eight. He keepeth the paths of judgment. Wisdom doesn't keep the paths of judgment, but rather God keeps the path of judgment. And what does that mean? He guards it. He watches over. In essence, there are no illegal trespassers. He's protecting it. He's, he's making sure that it's taken care of. Well, I'm glad tonight I don't have to keep the paths of judgment. I don't have to keep the paths of wisdom tonight because I can't do that, right? I'm just like you. I have moments of unwisdom. I have moments of unwise decisions. You ever been there? You ever thought you was making the right decision just to find out it wasn't the right one? Well, we've all been there. So I'm glad tonight that it's not up to me to keep that path, right? Because I'd bring something in or somebody in and say, this is a good thing. And really it's not. It'll mess it up. But God keeps the path to judgment. He preserves the way of the saints. In essence, when we walk in wisdom, we, we walk after God, we pursue God, we'll end up exactly where we're supposed to be. Why? Because he never leads anybody astray. He never leads anybody on the wrong path. He, he preserves the way of his saints. Not only does it point, not only does it protect, but notice God's wisdom provides. Look at verse number nine. Well, what does it provide, preacher? Thou shalt understand righteousness. It provides understanding. What is righteousness? God and ours and our pursuit of it. Right? We know God is completely and totally righteous tonight. He, 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 he is, he's sinless. He's perfect. He's completely 
righteous, yet because I'm in Christ, though I don't deserve it, though I haven't earned it, I have been robed in the righteousness of Christ. So I'm covered by Christ's righteousness tonight. So I have the same righteousness that God has, but at the same time, you and I are supposed to pursue righteousness. What? Right things. Those things which are right and, and correct tonight. So it provides understanding and wisdom helps you do that. Wisdom helps you understand how to operate towards and in righteousness tonight. And also that just, it gives us understanding concerning judgment, making the right decision. Well, doesn't the preacher, doesn't the Bible say we're not supposed to judge? And it does, right? That's unjustly judging. That is condemning, condescending, getting on your spiritual high horse and looking down at everybody else sound better than you because of this, that, and the other. That's a whole bunch of hogwash, right? But when it, when it talks about being not judging, when it, here when it talks about judgment, in essence, it's you weighing two things and saying, all right, which one of these am I going to pick? And that takes wisdom. That takes God's wisdom. And when we pursue it and seek it and God gives it to us, we'll be able to say, you know what, through discernment, I can see down the road that this one looks good now, but down the road it's going to lead to problems. And though this one doesn't appeal to my flesh, if you trace it down the road, it leads to the right place. So I'm going to take this one. We'll take this one. It gives us understanding of judgment and then equity, evenness, level, balance, not to be lopsided. You want to know a miserable Christian? One who's lopsided. Right? One who's lopsided, who's, who's either way over here in legalism, right? And nothing blesses them, nothing helps them, nothing encourages them, nothing's good enough for them. And so they they cross their arms and they can't find a church home and they can't do this and they can't do that and oh, and oh they got problems with everybody. Did you see them? Their, their, their pant legs were, were just a little bit too far touching their shoes. Did you see the glasses he was wearing? They were wire rim glasses. Did you see his haircut? He's got a beard, right? It's one thing after another. It's all regulations and rules and there's no joy and there's no peace and there's no contentment. But then you come over here, you can be lopsided on the other side as well. Oh, it don't matter what I do. I'm, I'm just saved, so I'm going to live my life however I want to live it. That's not the Christian life, right? Grace holds you to a higher standard than the law ever did. Grace commands a change in your life, and it enables you to live a life that you cannot live outside of the grace of God. It is not to be turned into lasciviousness, a license to sin. And so how, how, do, we, how do we not end up here? How do we not end up there? Wisdom. It brings equity into your life, evenness, balance. Boy, you find a joyful Christian, I guarantee you they live a life of balance. They live a life of balance. They, yes, they have convictions and they have standards, but God gave them to them. And yes, they understand grace, but they don't run after the world because of grace. Rather, they run to God because of grace. They have balance and they, they live a life of equity. And he says wisdom provides and, and points us, verse number nine, in every good path. Every good path. Direction for every decision. Right? Because in a perfect world, the Christian life would be lived like we'd start here, we'd get saved by the grace of God, and we'd grow straight. Right? That'd be the perfect Christian life. I remember being in Bible college, and this guy taught us this, and I thought, man, I'm in Bible college. Why do we got line graphs? He said, but here's how we actually live the Christian life. We start here, and we go up, he said, then we go down, then we go up, then we go down, then we go up, then we go down. He said, you end up making it to the same place, but you make some bad choices in there. Can I say tonight, because of wisdom and God's wisdom, we can lessen the bad choices we make? In essence, we don't have to make a bad choice, right? We choose that. 
But rather, if we pursue wisdom and say, all right, Lord, I don't want to make a bad choice here. Lord, I don't want to make the wrong choice. Lord, I need direction. He said, I've got wisdom for every good path. I can get you on every good path tonight is what the Lord's telling us if we just listen to him and listen to his wisdom this evening. Let me ask you, are you allowing God's wisdom to work at full strength in your life? Just an answer to a one single problem or is it a lifestyle? Is it a, a daily commitment and a daily life where you see that manifold work of wisdom and God's wisdom in your life tonight? There's some dens there and there's some good ones. Strength, equity, judgment, righteousness, protection, points. There's some dens there, right? There's got to be the if. The if's got to be completed. If you want to then you can, but it's up to you tonight. I can't do it for you, nor can you do it for me. It's a personal choice for my Lord. You said, if I do this, then I'll enjoy this. And Lord, I want, to, I want to enjoy the thens, so Lord, I'm going to do the ifs of wisdom tonight. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this evening.